a good thing and in the hardest part. I believe and I will follow you. Some of you may have already experienced what you would consider the hardest part. Some of you may be right now in the middle of what you consider the hardest part. And some of you probably maybe haven't seen it, but it's on the horizon. And the message of that song, not only does it call out to us to be faithful to our God through the end, but it reminds us line by line that our God is faithful to us even until the end and then beyond throughout all eternity. We have a God who is faithful, a God who loves us, we have a God we can trust, we have a God who is sovereign and good and perfect and loyal and loving in the good times and in the bad times, in the sad times and in the joyful times, and it is with excitement and anticipation this morning that we come to the conclusion of the introduction to the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaking to that crowd on the hillside, speaking to his disciples. We've looked at since about October these different characteristics of kingdom disciples. And this morning, as we come to the last and look specifically at persecution, we're going to approach it from the idea of joy through the pain. How can something that hurts be good for us? We probably learned that at a young age when you go to the doctor and you have to get a shot. And the nurse or the doctor who are trained liars say, this will only hurt for a second. And then mom and the doctor are in this clandestine pack to distract you while all of a sudden the nurse prepares the needle and they count one, two, ow, three. And you're shot. You're inoculated. You're boosted or whatever. Well, yeah, it only lasted for a second, but you know what? It still hurt. It right. It hurts. When you think about life and you think about the pains of life, where can joy come from? How in the world could someone find blessing in persecution? Now, I don't know about you, but when I just hear that word, persecution, it brings heaviness on me. It brings concern. And you might be saying, you've got to be kidding, blessing and persecution. Yeah, right. Well, in this last of the Beatitudes, Jesus says this to his followers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And whether you look to those in the Bible who gave their lives for the name of Christ, you look to those in the name, the annals of history, those that have, have died in remote places where no one even maybe knows their name, when you think about those who have suffered and died for the sake of Jesus, the ones that have been beaten, others abused, mistreated, mocked, attacked, all because of faith, specifically faith in Jesus. And you wonder to yourself, where is the blessing in that persecution? Well, we're going to see that in the reward that waits for us in heaven and also exists while we are still here on earth. Now, it couldn't, shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone who wanted to follow after Jesus. Jesus made it 
clear many times that following him would be difficult. It would not be easy. But he also reminded them of the reward that waited for those that were faithful in heaven. Because, you know, while following Jesus is difficult, we can say without any hesitation, following Jesus is always worth it. But when we choose to truly press in and follow hard after Jesus, we have to understand that in this present life, there will be pain and sacrifice. But in the future, there's a reward, a blessing. And so as we look at this last beatitude this morning, I want us to to think about this idea that true blessing exists for those who endure persecution for the sake of Jesus. That true blessing waits for those who endure persecution, not just for the sake of being persecuted, but for the sake of the name of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, hopefully not for the last time um, in your life, but at least for the last Sunday morning um, for the next several weeks, I'd like for us to read through these Beatitudes once more together as we focus on the last three verses. You'll remember it probably very well by now that Jesus, seeing the crowds, went up on a mountain. And when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and search for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we have to gather together, the freedom to gather in your name, the freedom that comes at the cost of the sacrifice of your son Jesus. Lord, we thank you that we are privileged to be called sons of God, to be called joint heirs with Jesus because of his sacrifice and by the result of our faith. And so this morning as we study as we look at the blessing that exists in persecution. Help us to see the wonderful love, the grace, and the mercy of our Savior. Help us to see the sacrifice he made, the example that he is, and the strength that he provides. Teach us through your word. Help us to see the blessing in the present and the blessing that waits in the future. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So since the start of October, I think it was the 4th of October, we've been looking at blessed, looking at the Beatitudes, characteristics of what, of a kingdom citizen, that they're spiritual attributes, they're not natural qualities, that it really shows the difference between a Christian and a a non-Christian, that they're in different realms or different kingdoms. And they 
each contain a present reality for those that follow Jesus, but they all have a future, even greater fulfillment one day when we are with the Lord in heaven. And the overall theme of all of these lessons is that that true blessing comes to those who surrender to Jesus and live in the power of His presence. That's what it means to be in His kingdom. And today we focus on persecution. Hopefully we'll answer some of these questions. What does persecution look like for a Christian? How could persecution possibly be a blessing? And how should we respond to this in our our day. And so I want to do two things. I want to paint a bit of a portrait of the persecuted, and then I want to look at the blessing of the persecuted, and then we'll draw it together with some application points, and we'll be done. But I think we need to start with a definition. What is persecution? Here's you a good dictionary definition. Harsh, unfair treatment of a person because of who they are or what they believe. Harsh, unfair treatment of a person because of who they are or what they believe. So basically you have at least two parties involved. You have person A, person B, and person A for some reason does not like what person B does or stands for. And because of that, they assault them, either verbally or physically. Now in the milder stages, it can be just verbal harassment, mocking, ridicule hostile feelings or attitudes toward a person. As it grows in intensity, it can become discrimination, separation, exclusion. As it progresses, it can move into acts of physical violence, torture, beating, abuse, imprisonment, slavery, and the end result for many throughout the world is death. Now in a general sense, we could say anyone could be persecuted for what they believe. So anyone can hold to a belief, and because of that belief, someone can choose to persecute them. You see that all around. But in this particular setting, in the Beatitude, Jesus is talking about a very specific set of people who face persecution. And so we see persecution, but we need to look at who is the persecuted person that Jesus is talking about. He's speaking specifically about those who are persecuted because of their faith, specifically faith in Him or faith in Jesus. And He says, blessed are the persecuted. That word literally means to to follow or press hard after. Just imagine in your mind animals running from hunting dogs or those videos you watch on on public television of the gazelle running from the cheetah or the lion. There is a victim and there's someone in pursuit of them. Or if you like, you know, television, you know, crime shows, think about a fugitive that's on the run, fleeing from authority. That's the main idea around being persecuted, is that someone is pressing hard after someone. And it can be physical, and it can be verbal. And in the text that we have, we have a few examples of the verbal form of slander, insults, hatred, spurn, you know, spurn you for the name you believe in, and there's the word revile you or insult you, to assault someone with abusive words. 
or utter evil against you, where there's a deliberate lie told to discredit. I think these are particularly important to us today as Christians in the United States because while in some other areas the physical persecution is pressing in very hard, now for the most part the persecution we face is on the verbal level or written level. You know, there are assaults with abusive words against both Jesus and his church, and there are deliberate lies meant to miscredit told about the church. And if we're not careful, you know, those lies can define who the church is more than the church being the church. That's why it's so important that we live our lives, you know, in the world that we are in, in the name and in the power of Jesus. But while persecution can either be verbal or physical, either way, it, it hurts. Persecution is painful. It can be physical pain, emotional suffering, hurts, wounds, worry, paranoia, sleepless nights. It would be easy to say nobody should go out looking for persecution. I was talking to the, the firemen last week that were, or two weeks ago, that were here for the campfire from Briar Oaks and just asking about how they got in the fire business. And one of the guys just said, man, I want to I fight fire. That's, that was his, that's what he wanted to be in there for. And the other three guys looked at him and said, you say that now. But wait, he was young. You know, when you get, you shouldn't go running and looking for persecution as a Christian. It will find you if you're living your life for Christ. It's not something we particularly like about being a Christian. If we were to, to make a brochure to, you know, entice people to come and follow us, we probably wouldn't put persecution at the top. Come follow Jesus, and we guarantee persecution. It's real, and it's painful. It happens all around us. But when endured for the right reasons, Jesus says there is blessing. Which brings us to the next logical question, what is the right reason to face persecution? Jesus answers it so we can look at it and see what his words are. When we ask the question, why do Christians face persecution? The simple answer is it's faith in Christ. And in these verses, in verse 10 and 11, Jesus uses two phrases to help us understand that. In verse 10, he says, for righteousness' sake. And in verse 11, he uses the phrase, on my account, simply to say that righteous living leads to persecution. Another way you could say that is you will suffer for choosing to do right in the name of Jesus. A simple way to think about righteousness is right character, right being right before God, and then right actions before men. Other places in Scripture, when we talk about living out righteousness, it's living a, a godly life. And Paul, when he writes Timothy, that young pastor in 2 Timothy 3.12, gives him these encouraging words, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be. Why would someone be persecuted for, for doing the right thing? When we think about that from our perspective, at least I would think that if somebody's doing the right thing, they should be the people that are, are applauded, that are appreciated, that are, that are loved. 
but yet we find that they're the ones that are One reason is the world is at war with God and the things of God. And as Jesus said, if he was persecuted, we should expect that if the world hated him, we should expect to be hated. So that war is not only against God, but it comes against those who are called children of God, that are followers of Jesus. But all the while this war is raging, that people are against God and the things of God, God in his love is still longing for and working to bring reconciliation. To bring sinners to salvation. To bring wholeness to the broken. To bring sight to the spiritually blind. And we see some receive it and are changed. Others choose not to and are left in their state and continue to be enemies. And so part of the reason is because we are living the right life, and you can think of it this way, when you're out there living the way you're supposed to, a righteous life exposes the unrighteousness of others. If you've been in a workplace for long and you've tried to live for Jesus or at school, this becomes painfully evident. You decide to live for Jesus and you see your co-workers treat you differently. Parties and activities happen after hours and they know not to invite you because you don't drink. Conversations cease when you enter a room because they know you're living for Jesus. And something in them knows it's not right, but they choose to keep on. And in some cases, it escalates to the point that they may attack or retaliate against you. Because as one person said, it's difficult to be indifferent to a wide-awake Christian somebody who's on fire for Jesus, you would either hate them or love them, but there's no way you can ignore them. Which raises the question in my mind, if we find the road easy and we find ourselves facing a little opposition, I think we seriously need to question, are we sold out? Are we following hard after Jesus? Or have there been places of compromise? I've chosen to walk the wide and narrow path that's easy rather than the one that is narrow and rough. Do I need to make adjustments? But when we learn that we're persecuted for righteousness, we have to always understand that it's not our goodness. It's not our ability to be right. It's a righteousness that's not our own because our righteousness, and these are you know, my paraphrase, our righteousness stinks. And it's worthless. You can look at the descriptions in the Bible and, and find out, you know, we're, we're, we're not righteous. No, not one of us. And the Bible is clear that there is only one who is righteous, the Lord Jesus. And our righteousness is through faith in him. Philippians 3, verse 9, listen to this. And be found in him, not having a righteous of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So we have righteousness that is based upon Christ, is found in Christ, and is accessed by individuals through faith in Him. And so kind of in, in summary, we could say that Christians are righteous because of Christ, and because of Christ, we also face persecution. 
why verse 11 he says, because of me or on my account. You may remember what John said in John chapter 15, verse 20, when he said, remember the words that I said to you. So he's told them this before, and he reminds them, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. So when you step out in the world and you really decide to live for Jesus, other people will notice because those other seven Beatitudes that we talked about will start to become evident, worked out in our lives by the Holy Spirit. And when you act like Christ, when Christ is working in you, you will have that poverty of spirit. You'll mourn over your sin. You'll have meekness toward others in your relationship. You'll hunger and thirst for righteousness and want less of the junk of the world. You'll be merciful toward others, knowing that God is merciful toward you. You'll seek after purity in heart so you can have clear communication with God. And you'll seek to be a peacemaker, working reconciliation. And when that happens, two things are going to happen. One, you're going to make impact for the kingdom. Two, you're going to enrage all the forces of darkness, and you will face persecution. Alexander McLaren, great pastor of another century, said a true Christian ought to be a standing rebuke to the world, an incarnate conscience. That we should be so flavored with Christ in our lives that we make a difference and before we even open our mouths and praise God we will open our mouths that the character and the quality of our lives will make a difference for his kingdom and that we'll be bold enough to keep it up knowing that we're going to face persecution you can see examples in the Bible and history about the prophets who were persecuted if you want to read about uh, two places you can read in, in Matthew chapter 21 about the parable of the tenants in Hebrews chapter 11, in that great chapter of faith, toward the end, you can read about those who endured suffering that is difficult to read and hard to even imagine, verses 35 through 38. Church history and tradition tells us that some of the disciples were treated horribly. James was beheaded. Philip and Andrew, the brothers, were crucified. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was likely beheaded by Nero. And John, the writer of Revelation, was exiled, exiled to that island of Patmos and died a prisoner. And each of those men, countless others, both known and unknown, have suffered persecution throughout history because they've chosen to associate themselves with Jesus. And some people would look back at that and say, oh my gosh, that's so tragic, or how wrong that is. It's, it's injustice. So how in the world could something good come from this? How could joy come through pain? And so we've looked at a picture or a portrait of the persecuted. Now let's look at a blessing for the persecuted. How can persecution be a blessing? How can something that hurts be good for us? We have to remember that that word blessed means that you know, when Jesus says you are blessed, that if you follow after Jesus, you're in his kingdom, and if you're in his kingdom, you have access to all the benefits and all the responsibilities. And as Brother 
Jimmy Nelson described it, those Beatitudes, those blessings are the blessed, best attitudes that result from God's grace at work. And so the righteous receive blessing because they are heirs to the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They possess it. They are in the kingdom. They are blessed. Now that blessing has a present reality and a future hope as all the ones we've looked at has. The reward may not come in this life, but it will be seen in eternity. But he says theirs is the kingdom. It's theirs belongs to them. That righteous sufferers will inherit the kingdom. That there can be rejoicing and gladness because the reward is worth the suffering. The pain is worth the price. That there will be a long and awaited reward for all Now, I like the word rejoice. It's very exciting. It's the picture of a young animal jumping for joy. You can think of, you know, a newborn animal just springing with life. We have um, a little unexpected bull calf named Brewster. And Brewster yesterday was excited. He was feeling good. He was jumping and he was running because it was cool. And that is the picture that you should have in your mind of rejoicing. That rejoicing is both a bodily expression and a verbal response. Picture in your mind whatever game show you've ever watched and the winner of a game show. They go nuts, right? They yell, they scream, they jump, they holler, they hug. Then they do the same thing over and over again. And, um, you know, and sometimes the poor host with the microphone is the, is the victim of, you know, um, of that outpouring of joy. I would argue that our worship, our celebration of the goodness of our Savior, both present and future, should be full of joy. It should be times of rejoicing. And that means both verbal and bodily expressions of joy. Raise hands, clap hands, joyful movement, expressions of joy with our lips and with our bodies because we have been called by the name of Jesus. We are worthy of His name and we are benefactors of all the glorious benefits. And what are those benefits in the present? Well, here's one of the things. You're in the kingdom. That's a blessing. You are in God's kingdom. Think about those early Christians, book of Acts. Church is forming and growing. They are following after Jesus. They're citizens of the kingdom. And they are facing persecution left and right. Now, it's not political. They didn't sign up for the Roman Republican Party or the Roman Democratic Party. It wasn't political. It wasn't because they went out looking for trouble. They didn't go sit up on the street corner and, you know, bring all, you know, approach, invite everyone to come to them, you know. No, it was because they looked like Jesus. They called themselves by the name of Jesus. And Acts 5.41 tells us that they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer 
dishonor for the name, the name of Jesus. And so in the book of Acts, we have kingdom citizens living for King Jesus, experiencing blessings of the kingdom. What were those blessings? We've read about them. We've talked about them since October. They were comforted when they mourned. They were satisfied when they hungered and thirsted for righteousness. They received mercy when they showed mercy. They inherited the earth because of their meekness. They saw God because of their purity of heart. They were called sons of God, and theirs is the kingdom of God because they chose to be called by the name of One person likened this idea of the present and future reward to this, the idea that after you have sat through a meal, the end reward is dessert. But that's just an earthly picture that really does not even come close, but it gets our minds thinking in the direction that the reward is both something we enjoy now, but we see the full extent of it later in heaven. Listen to what C.S. Lewis great thinker and writer said, the proper rewards are not simply tacked on to the activity for which they are given, but are the activity itself in consummation. Life lived under kingdom norms is naturally linked with the bliss of life in the consummated kingdom. So there's a blessing to be enjoyed now that will only be enhanced in heaven and will come to its full fruition because Jesus says, verse 12, your reward in heaven is great, mega, it's wonderful. The future blessing that is a reward from God's grace is something you can't compare to anything in the world. If you just read the book of Revelation and aside from the things of what will happen and what might happen if you focus on what does happen when the believer is present with the Lord that is a picture of the blessing the future blessing, the reward I don't know about you but seeing Jesus face to face sounds pretty great standing around the throne singing praise to God for all our days nothing in this world is going to even come close to that the things that we do on earth are going to be perfectly fulfilled everything's going to be made right and while we don't live our lives because we're trying to earn the reward those rewards are waiting because we choose to obey god out of love and those rewards will be enjoyable and there will be rewards based on our level of faithfulness because true believers are in god's kingdom and that kingdom is a now kingdom it's a future kingdom and it's also a forever kingdom it's the place where the rule and reign of jesus is and in that day when he makes all things new we're going to not have to deal with evil anymore we're not going to have to fight against sickness battle against sin deal with daily physical pain or fear death And the guarantee is this, everyone who endures persecution to the end for the name of Jesus has a reward in heaven that is great. Just a small picture. Look in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. 
and listen to this. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Oh, what a blessing is waiting for us, and that true blessing exists for those who endure persecution for the sake of Jesus. So as we wrap up, what does all this mean? Just some summary statements before I draw a couple of application points. First, if you follow Jesus, you will be persecuted. It's not fun, it's not easy, but it's reality. Our flesh will fight against it. We don't like to hurt. Nobody does. Left to ourselves, our human centeredness seeks after safety, personal security, and survival above all else. God's kingdom and its blessing are a complete reversal of that idea. That the focus is on Christ. He's the center. That the life that we live should be a life of sacrifice, of service, of love, and devotion. So suffering should be expected. Suffering provides a great opportunity for God to receive glory. That as we walk through the trials of life, as we praise God in the midst of our troubles, He can and will be glorified. And then the last thing is to know that the reward will be worth it. It may not seem like it now. You may not be able to see it, but trust in God's Word. Read and study the Scriptures. The reward is worth it. Men and women who were persecuted for the name of Jesus experienced joy through let me just tell you one example. During the 1930s in World War II, there, a pastor in Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, became notable for his opposition as a pastor to the Nazi ideas and the Nazi ways. He was persecuted because of his beliefs. And he wrote this, It's not all surprising that Christians should be called to suffer. And then he says this, a man who endured suffering. In fact, it's a joy and a token of his grace. He lived his life for the kingdom. He suffered on earth. He was arrested. He was executed just three days before the camp that he was in was liberated. He walked with Jesus through joy, with joy through pain, and he stepped into heaven and received eternal reward for his endurance through trials, and he experienced that inexpressible or unspeakable joy. So let me just give you four things that we can do. One's pray for those who are persecuted. You can find um, websites, Voice of the Martyrs. Um, there are others. Um, I can't remember what Brother Andrew's um, ministry is called, um, but you can Voice of the Martyrs, and then there's another one, but I don't remember. Um, you can find lists of, of places in the world where persecution is um, intense. They'll, they'll usually have a top ten list, and they'll tell you where people are, are most harshly persecuted. Pray for those people in other countries that endure persecution unto death on a daily basis. Where it is truly life-threatening to be called a Christian. So that's the first. And also pray for yourself and others to remain faithful in persecution. Honestly, we are just beginning to see 
the start of what I think will intensify over the years. That the verbal and the written challenges will be be followed up by more intense forms of persecution for those who choose to follow the name of Jesus. So pray for yourself. Pray for others to remain faithful. And third, live for Jesus so that you are counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. If you're going to suffer, suffer in a way that's worth it. Suffer for Jesus. And then know and be strengthened by this that joy will come through pain. You may or may not be an old hymn reader. Um, If you're not, I encourage you to be. In the wonderful hymn, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go. Listen to this verse. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that morn shall tearless be. Blessed are those who are perfect for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you that you do not ever let us go. Once we're yours, we're yours forever and always. Nothing we can do can change that. We're not strong enough or smart enough to pull away from you once we're in your grasp. But you've got us and you hold us. That you love us and you put up with us despite of our shortcomings and our weakness and our failures and our stubbornness. When we show lack of gratitude, when we think we know better than you, when we're afraid, when we're tired when we want to pull back and we're tempted to say it's not worth it. Well, you love us and you strengthen us and you encourage us. When we trace the rainbow through the rain and we see your work in the midst of darkness, Lord, just like the hymn writer writes, help us to see that your promise is not in vain. And that a day is coming when tears will be dry. When hope will be fulfilled. And our Savior will come. Help us to remember the persecuted, to pray for ourselves and others, to live our lives in a way that we will be counted worthy of your name. And remind us ever to walk that joy comes even through pain. We ask for your help in this to apply this to our lives that have powered your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we began this morning thinking about joy through pain and we finished here singing that song, I Will Follow You. And maybe now, you know, you're thinking about that hard part. Maybe you're still in the middle of it. Maybe it's just starting. Maybe you've just 
started to come out of it. And, and I want you to know, and I want you to focus on the fact that God is with you in the midst of that hard part, in the midst of the rain, if you want to look at it that way. He's with you, and He is present, and be encouraged. Maybe this morning you just need to rejoice and thank God for His faithfulness in the midst of trials, and ask Him to to continue just to continue to help you to be aware of his presence. So maybe it's a day of rejoicing. Maybe it's a day of turning your heart back to him and saying, God, I've just, I'm weary and I've just, I've shrunk back from this, but God, I want to just face forward into life with a faith that is strong, no matter what the world says, I want to live for you. If you make that commitment, he'll give you the power. He'll give you the encouragement. Or maybe you're, you're still recovering from wounds and hurts and you need God to just remind you the assurance of his healing is there. God, just bind me up and hold me and I want to go back into battle and I want to finish well. Or maybe this is, as you look at this, you just look at facing eternity and you think, okay, I'm not ready for this. I don't understand. And, and maybe it could be that you've sat in church, you've heard things from the Bible and stories. You never put that trust in Jesus. It's a relationship. It's real and it's personal. It's by faith. It's just simply meaning that you're not strong enough, you're not good enough, that you're a dirty, rotten sinner, and you need a Savior who is pure and perfect and loving and gentle and kind. And you turn from your sin and you turn toward Him and what the Bible calls repentance. You can enjoy salvation. Or maybe you've just been deceived and thought, you could do it all on your own, that you're good enough and you're smart enough because you came from a good home and you had a good parents and you live a good life and one of these days you're going to find out that all that good's not going to get you nothing. It's only through faith in Jesus and today you can put your trust in Him. So I invite you to stand. We're going to sing and whether you respond where you at, whether you come to the front, I trust that God will speak to your heart and you'll listen to His voice and respond. Let's sing together as we listen to
being here. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Just be reminded today, if you're part of the prayer study, today at 4, youth at 4. If you're part of Old Time Christmas, remember your opportunity to for the walkthrough or today at 3 or tomorrow at 5.30 there at the tree farm and Alan and Duane are over there if you have any questions of that. Offices are closed this week. No Wednesday activities. Hope you have a wonderfully blessed Thanksgiving to spend time with family, to enjoy food and fellowship, and that you would just take time to count your blessings and remember the faithfulness of God. We're going to sing, and when we start to sing, you're dismissed. Lord bless you. What a friend we have in Jesus. He's so well.